You're living in your own private Idaho. Living in your own private Idaho. Uh, 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 uh. It's not Idaho. It's Weedaho. Welcome to The Absolute State, a podcast from the investigative shit posters at Left Coast Right Watch. This episode, we're covering what went down at Coeur Pride the weekend before last, from the biker militia who threatened violence on the event to Patriot Front dorks who got arrested in the back of a van. We'll talk to independent reporter Alyssa Azar and veteran journalist David Nywert, both of whom were there that day. But first, we want to give you some background on what led up to the events of June 11th. For that, we got a briefing from the hard-working researchers at Readout Anti-Fascist Action before the event took place. Just to note that we at LCRW are the ones adding the color commentary here. Readout AFA advised us on the script and helped us out with the facts. The trouble in Coeur d'Alene started off back near the end of April, when Nick Fuentes' confidant Vincent James shared the flyer for Coeur d'Alene Pride around his social media. James made a poorly drawn star of David over the flyer in Photoshop. He insinuated it was a hidden symbol and Jews were going to have groomers do a homosexual recruitment on your children. A biker gang slash militia called Panhandle Patriots made an announcement. As one member of Readout AFA told us, the Panhandle Patriots, quote, shit the bed by calling for violence. Panhandle Patriots made a press release to deflect. They said that White Lives Matter and Antifa were trying to make their, quote unquote, peaceful, quote unquote, event called, quote unquote, Gundaline. Then they went on a neo-Nazi podcast and hinted there would be street brawling. Meanwhile, in Dallas, Texas, another bunch of right-wingers harassed a drag event, and video of it went viral. That invigorated the bigots planning for Coeur d'Alene. Larger right-wing figures like Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers and former Alex Jones protege Paul Joseph Watson boosted the satanic panic, calling it a crusade against demons. It was looking like a potential bloodbath leading up to Coeur d'Alene pride. That sets the stage for our interview with Alyssa Azar, a usually Portland-based independent journalist who covered the event. Okay, so we're here with Alyssa Azar, who's an independent journalist based out of Portland. Alyssa, how did uh, your weekend in Coeur go? <laughs> you know, it wasn't the greatest of visit to Idaho, but... Um... What happened? Why did people come that weekend? What was going on? This last Saturday on June 11th in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, there was an event called Pride in the Park. Organizers had put out that flyer, I believe, a few months in advance. And in response to this event, a bunch of neo-Nazi and Christo-fascist and other violent right-wing extremist groups 
planned different sorts of counters to take place during the same day, same location, same time. The main counter to that that was organized is an event that they called Gundelane. There were other events from fascists set to take place at the same time, different prayer marches and stuff like that. After those events started circulating, there was lots of different threats being posted in various right-wing chats and channels that kind of brought more attention to the event overall. How did the day go? Could you just give us a rundown of what happened during the day itself? I got there pretty early on, on my walk over to the park. I was just completely surrounded by truck after truck waving Gadsden flags, thin blue line flags. Unfortunately, there were lots of Confederate flags, Punisher symbols everywhere. So a large variety of fascists on the outskirts. And then as I kind of made my way into the park, the park was just filled with a bunch of booths that had pride stuff. There were colorful balloons everywhere, people that were stationed in front of the main stage just dancing the whole time. So there was quite a bit going on. Would you say that the people at the pride event itself outnumbered all of the Christo-fascists and others? It's hard to say. I think the people at pride were pretty outnumbered, actually. It looked like a large crowd. There was maybe around 100 to 150 people at the Pride event. Um, granted, there were lots of people coming and going as well. It was The event kind of went on for a good chunk of the day. But also the fascists were pretty spread out. It was a very large park. People were just spread all over the place. What were some of the things you saw that stuck out to you? It was very interesting to see lots of the fash groups' events that were supposed to take place that day ended up getting canceled for one reason or another. But, you know, they all still decided to show up. A lot of them and focused their attention on the Pride event themselves and were literally just you know, standing where the park was, where on the perimeters of where the park was, where everyone at Pride was. Um, it was very surreal. At one moment, there were people doing the cha-cha slide while a drag queen was on stage. Meanwhile, dudes wearing Adam Waffen masks were standing with a banner calling people groomers. And somewhere on the perimeter, there was a group of Christo Fash who were just singing nonstop groups of fascists just trying to get in confrontations with people at pride and you know slinging their rifles and it was a very interesting event something else that was bizarre at least to me um was the amount of cops that were at pride this was a very different group of people that were attending pride most people there were actually supporters of the local police so all in all it was a very interesting day i guess the big event on everybody's minds is Patriot Front getting mass arrested. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened, how that went down, and how you came to film it? Absolutely. So I was standing in the park where the Pride in the Park was taking place that I had just mentioned. This was an hour away from when the scheduled time for the event to end was. Suddenly I saw a sheriff who just out of nowhere started wielding his baton and making a run for it as, as fast as he could kind of towards the entrance of the park and behind him were like six to seven dudes that were part of one of the Christofash groups 
So when I saw that, you know, I, I thought it was very odd, but I, I knew that something was going on. I wasn't sure what. So I decided to follow them. As I mentioned, it was a very large park. So they had gone quite the distance away. It was well out of the park and about like a quarter mile away from the Pride event. The first thing that I saw was a bunch of police cars and in front of them was an unmarked uh, LEO vehicle, which I didn't know what it was at the time. So, you know, I thought maybe there was a car accident going on, something like that. But as I got a little bit closer, I saw this huge group of dudes wearing what looked like Best Buy outfits, kneeling on their knees in the grass with their hands behind their backs. <laughs> I immediately knew that it was Patriot Front. But at the same time, I, it was just so surreal. I thought there was no way that they were being detained or arrested because it's just so out of the ordinary to witness police treating fascists without preferential treatment or providing them with some kind of protection or cover. But lo and behold, that's exactly what was going on. I got closer. They were all still on their knees with their hands behind their back and their masks were still on. Within a few minutes, the police started to go over to the group and remove them one by one. They took them over to the patrol cars and started patting them down and searching them, um, taking their masks off in a pretty dramatic way and then loading them into the paddy wagon. What happened next? It was quite the spectacle. So the crowd slowly started to get a little bit bigger. For the most part, it was people on the far right. A lot of people were yelling at the cops. And then slowly, as the group got a little bigger, I think, I don't know, if people saw on social media what was happening. They started to make their way over from the park. There were more people who were attending Pride that started showing up. Behind the police, where all the observers were, it was it was a bit chaotic. From people like yelling at the cops to others trying to get information on why the group was arrested, the cops were not releasing any information. They kept asking people who were asking them questions if they were family members and said that that's the only way that, you know, they could give them information. About 10 minutes into the mass arrest, line of riot police kind of ran in between people who were observing and where Patriot Front was. And um, once the riot line formed, what what happened after that? The scene stayed the same for, I want to say, around an hour, maybe closer to like 45 minutes, because they left them all kneeling there and they were just removing them one by one. I mean, there were there were two vehicles that they were unmasking and patting people down. So I guess it was closer to two by two at a time. But um that scene kind of took place for a while. Did it kind of go like most of the demonstrations that you and I have both attended where everything just kind of dissipates after a while? That was pretty much it. Um, Before I just ask your thoughts on this to wrap up, you didn't get arrested, you got detained. Could you tell us that story? It was really weird. The entire time that the Patriot Front group was being arrested, I was there filming. I was uncomfortable, but it was more than that. I had just a really weird and bad feeling because as I'm filming, this cop says to another cop, 
he kind of nudges him on the side and he's like hey there's your girl and the cop looked like wait what am i supposed to be looking at and then he's like the one filming right there there's uh there's azar i don't know why cops and fashion call me azar they don't don't know how to say my name but i just felt really weird after that i was in a totally new state and city where i didn't think the cops would know me but it was really more than just that feeling you get when a cop targets you like that for some reason i just had a weird and bad feeling about it after they arrested the last member of patriot front that's when i left and i started making my way to the car i was parked a pretty good distance away from where the event was taking place when i did get to my car we left the doors open because it was supposed to be a really rainy day and pretty cold but the day got really hot out of nowhere and the car was scorching hot so opened the doors and left them open so it could cool down before driving to portland for a bit and i was sitting on the sidewalk and the this road that the car was parked on is a fairly wide road it could easily fit two cars with plenty of room on either side you know i don't know about five minutes or so after getting to the car um, a cop arrives it was a sheriff to be specific starts asking some questions why i was parked there um i wasn't i wasn't talking to him and then once he kind of you know got 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 that feeling that i wasn't going to say anything he immediately told me that the reason why he approached me was because the car doors it was actually breaking the law because it's blocking the road so i proceeded to um close the doors the doors were shut and he still wanted to ask some questions and i'm not sure right now how long had passed after that but maybe five to ten minutes later um two more squad cars show up with three more cops and one of them pulls me to the side and first starts taking my picture on his cell phone and then he started asking me what my connection was to the van that was at the event earlier and i genuinely had no idea what he was talking about i did not know what van there was not at least not to my knowledge at the time there was no van that was any sort of significant part of the day in my thread when i was live tweeting that day pretty early on in the event a bunch of christo fascists were harassing and attacking a trans woman and there were cops everywhere at pride and so you know the cops saw what happened or i'm not sure if they saw what happened but they were close by and they ended up arresting the trans woman and leaving the fascists alone um you know i i had heard from people on the ground that somebody got arrested and they kind of pointed out what direction that was in so i made my way over there and I didn't catch the interaction or see what had happened between the trans woman and the fascists, but I was filled in by others, and I made it in time to witness the arrest. They said that a bunch of fascists got out of the this van that was there, and that they swarmed around the trans woman and just started saying really awful things that I don't wish to repeat, but you can probably guess. 
the trans woman was just like you know yelling back at them and the cops thought that was worthy of an arrest um they started claiming that the van was damaged even though there's lots of footage that the van was in fine condition it was untouched um for some reason the cop thought i had something to do with that and then at one point he had mentioned that they thought it was odd that i was the first one on the scene at that arrest and that i was um, one of the first people on scene at the patriot front arrest it was just a bunch of bullshit i'm not really sure what the fuck they were talking about or i don't think they genuinely believe i had involvement with two groups of fascists but who knows after that i sat back down on the sidewalk and the cops all proceeded to take a bunch of pictures of me on their phones get my information and the sheriff ended up going back to his car to grab his canine and i remember very very clearly seeing the cop signal to the dog because he made this like motion with his arm on the side of the car and as soon as he made that uh that motion and signaled to the canine the dog started barking and then the cop said good boy and it was right at that point when the sheriff said okay now you're being detained and i genuinely thought it was a joke because i i have nothing on me had nothing on me there's nothing going on so after that they you know they proceeded to search every inch of the car destroyed everything that they could get their hands on i ended up being let go i wasn't arrested but i was detained for about an hour and it was just absolute bullshit so did they destroy any of your equipment or anything like that or just some of my stuff is definitely fucked with but none of my equipment was destroyed like that luckily i had gone to a shop that was selling palo santo do you know what that is maybe you should tell our listeners it's kind of like incense uh so when you burn it it just smells incredible but when it's just a piece of wood and before you uh, before you light it it doesn't really have much of a scent i had some in my bag because i picked some up at a shop so the cop just like was sniffing everything that he was grabbing. I don't know what he was trying to uncover with his nose, but it was just so funny when he started sniffing the Palo Santo and was like, oh, smells really good. What is it? I'm like, he was trying to play the good cop role so hard. It was it was awful. Oh, what a perv. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I guess just to wrap up, um, let me phrase the last question like this. I know you've covered a lot of events in Oregon and um, I'm sure a lot elsewhere, Washington, of course. Um, How did this stack up against other right-wing events you've covered? It was very different. I think part of the story that wasn't really told, and I do think it's a significant point, this crowd was a very, very different crowd. Idaho is over 70% Trump supporters. And even within the more like liberal crowd who was in attendance at Pride, which their Pride was an extremely liberal event, most of the people there are huge supporters of law enforcement. There's even a cop who is on the board of the organization that put on this Pride in the Park event. This one was very different because of the demographic of the people who were at Pride. You don't really see that militant counter response that you see in different places like Portland, California, Seattle, sometimes in Olympia. 
Of course, there were anti-fascists who were there, but there's really only so much they can do when most of the counterparts that are present do not hold those same values and believe in that same response. And, you know, that really just is going to put people more at risk when it comes to retaliation from law enforcement or, you know, other fascists. That's a really great insight. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. And could you uh, tell folks where they can find your work and support your work? I am on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Alyssa Azar. It's A-L-I-S-S-A-A-Z-A-R. On Instagram, my handle is Revolution Daddy, but the... Um, the E in revolution is the number three. So it's revolution with the number three daddy on Instagram. And links to both of those in the show notes. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks again to Alyssa for coming on the show. Before we talk to David Nywert, I wanted to run down an interesting connection uncovered between Eastern Washington Christian fascist politician Matt Shea and the neo-Nazis at Patriot Front. Two of the Patriot Front arrestees are the sons of Matt Buster, one of Matt Shea's associates. Shea is a former Washington state representative who's associated with a web of far-right militia types, including the Bundys. Here's what Shea said about the Busters and Patriot Front. While you listen, picture Shea at an Edward R. Murrow-looking desk with clocks labeled Beijing, Moscow. Jerusalem, Spokane. Matt Buster is not part of On Fire Ministries' leadership in any capacity. But Matt Buster is a brother in Christ, and we do not judge him for the actions of his sons. Josiah Buster and Michelle Buster do not attend On Fire Ministries. But Shea was lying. Here's one of the Buster bros and daddy, Matt Buster getting called up to Shay's church by Shay himself. You'll hear Shay first, then the Busters doing a bizarre back and forth. Remember, the one trying to do a comedy routine is the Patriot Front member, and the one reading the announcements is his dad. Do you want to bring Shale up? Oh, that is scary. Woo! All right, everybody, it's going to be Matt... And Shale this morning. If you don't remember Shale, let's give him a round of applause. He's coming back up. I already miss my wife. Okay, hold on. No, no. Remember, you are at church. And this I'm is, at church. And this is live streaming. And this is live streaming. We can get arrested for this. Okay. Okay. So there are two turtles racing around a bathtub. And on the second lap, the first turtle knocks the second turtle soap in the water. And the turtle turns to the one and says, hey, go get my soap. And the other turtle says, no, what do you think I am? Your typewriter? <laughs> typewriter? Okay, all right. And so things that... Sh- <laughs> 
There's not enough youth kids in here to laugh at that. I just don't even know what to say about that. Um, Diane, please heal quickly. Moving on, very quickly, moving on. All right, all right, so to the announcements. Shale doesn't have a list of announcements. I don't have a list of announcements. um, So this week is Christmas week, and so um, he really does not need a mic. (laughs) Um, So there are a few cancellations. There's no youth group and and no young adults and no girls real life. And that leads us into our next interview. We're hearing from David Newert, a veteran journalist who's been covering militias for longer than Ebner has been alive. So, why don't we lead off with your impression of what happened in Coeur d'Alene last week? I had been reporting for a month and a half prior to this event about the agitation that was going on around it, being drummed up by... uh, Right-wing extremists in the region, particularly a group called Panhandle Patriots. They're a biker club, but they're well-known for their avid participation in the Patriot movement. Uh, One of their leaders and founders was at the January 6th insurrection. And a couple of members got up about before an evangelical group about a month before, a month and a half before, and announced that they were planning to have a a counter event uh, three quarters of a mile away from Pride at a nearby park uh, that they were and they were going to call it Gun Delane, which was going to be a celebration, uh, an anniversary celebration of the time two years ago when they jammed the streets of downtown Coeur d'Alene with pickup trucks and, and Trump banners and Gadsden flags and guns uh, because they're of false rumors, hoax rumors, really, that there was buses full of anti-fascists coming to wreak havoc in downtown Coeur d'Alene. You know, there were a number of cities that had this hoax happen to them, and Coeur d'Alene was one of them. And this group was the one was comprised of the people who actually uh, turned out in the streets. So they were, uh, and they were promising to confront the Pride event. Well, there was some backlash to this announcement, uh, and they uh, backtracked a little and announced that instead they were going to make it a uh, day of prayer. Kind of tells you that, you know, who, who clearly where they're aligned, because uh, then the whole event became really focused on a, a Christian nationalist, uh, uh, anti LGBTQ. Uh, mindset. People like the notorious Post Falls uh, white nationalist Dave Riley and Vincent James Fox the uh, and the Red Ice people who all live in Post Falls now joined in on this and they began denouncing the event trying to you know claim that it was going to it was all about groomers i mean this this has been the the basis of the the rhetoric around them anyway is this whole trend with uh, accusing anyone in the lgbtq community of uh, grooming children and being uh, natural pedophiles and once the red eyes people and you know and, and riley started doing this then it got picked up by libs of tiktok 
and because uh, particularly when Riley f noted that uh, the Satanic Temple was one of the sponsors of the Pride event, and it, uh, it they, as you can imagine, they just went absolutely apeshit with that and okay. uh, began claiming that it was you know it was a satanic pedophile <laughs> event and and so yeah and i think it was really when lives of tiktok started doing it it really caught the attention of the patriot front leadership and they decided to show up they already had a presence in the region there are a couple of members several patriot front members in spokane and and uh, pullman there in the region and i think it was a natural event for them to show up at and so they did and everybody was just having a lovely time except for on the fringe of the event everywhere uh, you know sort of outside the the main event in the park were all of these Christian nationalists who came wandering over from the other event and were um, not just observing, but clearly trying to intimidate and harass the people at the Pride event. Notably, the two men who were toting AR-15s uh, outside. Well, one of them actually wandered through the crowd several times with his AR-15, this dude in a cowboy hat. And so, you know, we were, we knew there were weapons at the event, but we were watching to see if there was any kind going to be any kind of organized attempt to uh, create violence. And there wasn't. There were just a lot of people hanging around doing intimidating stuff. A group of white nationalists put up a banner or held up a, a banner right next to the Pride event that said, groomers are not welcome in Idaho. But around 2 o'clock, we started getting word that uh, the cops had pulled over a bunch of patriots a block away. So I went running over there, and sure enough, it wasn't just patriots, it was Patriot Front, pretty identifiable by their blue shirts and white masks and khakis. And um, they were all in their masks and kneeling on the grass there, and uh, <laughs> cops started processing them, and... Uh, uh, I took all their photos as they took their masks off. So, and then by the time they were all done processing them, there were thirty-one of them. Um, they uh, uh, they took you know they I wandered back to Pride and things were all wrapped up and everybody had, had a lovely day, you know. <laughs> um, so, but it isn't hard to envision what could have happened if cops hadn't stopped those guys who hadn't heard them apparently a um somebody uh saw them getting or preparing to get into their van and called the sheriff and so the cops met them a block away from the park and stopped them and put them under arrest so hi david michael borman here hi michael when there are multiple right-wing groups that converge on an event like this, do you think they're coordinated or that they're competing for attention? 
I don't think they're competing for media attention. I think that they're mutually supporting, even though they're not necessarily coordinating or even aware of each other's presence necessarily. Though I think the Patriot folks and the the Christian nationalists were clearly um, working hand in glove. Um, I didn't get the impression that Patriot Front people were necessarily. However, as we know, uh, two of the Patriot Front members who were arrested uh, are the sons, uh, are, are the, the uh, Michelle and Josiah Buster, who are the sons of Matt Buster, who is the, or who was, <laughs> the right-hand man of Spokane Valley Christian nationalist Matt Shea, the guy who, the former Washington legislator who got drummed out of the legislature for uh, planning, you know, basically running a secessionist organization and being involved with domestic terrorists. Shea, as it happened, had led uh, a march from McEwen Park, the the rival, uh, you know, the sort of counter-protest. Had, they had paraded up past the city park where the Pride event was and uh, and then went in another direction. But um, so, you know, uh, Shea was there and uh, two of Shea's sons, or Shea's right-hand man, uh, the sons of that right-hand man were in the Patriot Front thing. Now, Shea did... <laughs> Three days later, throw them all under the bus. <laughs> he, he went on. He, he did a radio, his radio broadcast, and he said, uh, "Well, Matt Buster is not part of our leadership." And even though Buster had, in fact, been the head of his men's uh, real men's ministry, he called it, and uh, and I had a video of Michelle Buster being invited up onto the stage. Uh, at uh, On Fire Ministries last December 19th by Matt Shea. So, uh, and he claimed that the boys didn't attend the church, and I was able to show that, well, actually they did. But, uh, you know, he the day afterward, the day after he had, or I think later that evening, he had tried to claim on Saturday that it was actually Antifa that had been arrested. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they... I don't think that they knowingly coordinated, but um, clearly there was this uh, confluence of interests. <laughs> Could you give our listeners some background on Matt Shea? So Shea had been in the legislature for, I think, 12 years, something like that, um, and uh, had risen to the ranks of you know Republican leadership in the Washington legislature. I think he was the, the number two... Republican in terms of seniority in the legislature in 2018, but his associations with the Patriot movement, particularly this Christian Nationalist Church over in, in Marble, Washington, uh, which is up in sort of the northeastern part of the state. It's this church that was founded by people who were associated originally with the Aryan nations, but claimed to be no longer white supremacist. But it was, you know, your basic Christian nationalist operation, and it still is, the Church at Marble. And uh, Shea had done things like he had uh, been heavily involved in uh, the Malheur standoff uh, situation and 
had advocated for the Bundys, yeah, and um, had been involved with uh, various factions in the extremist right for a long time. And so an independent report came out and said that Shea was associated with domestic terrorism, been engaged in activities that, uh, that helped encourage it. There was quite an uproar and eventually, and you know, he lost his uh, positions, uh, all of his uh, committee seats and things like that, his committee assignments, and was basically reduced to, you know, a minor mem- a backbencher in the Republican caucus. There was huge pressure on him to uh, resign, but he just chose not to run again. And so he didn't uh, run for re-election in 2018 and instead went and started up a, an evangelical Christian nationalist church there in the Spokane Valley where he lives called On Fire Ministries. It's been a real center of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, right-wing extremist activities. You know, the the one of the things that that really brought shade down was this uh, uh, manual that he had produced as part of his activities with the Patriots, and particularly he was heavily involved in this effort to call, create a 51st state that was going to be basically a Christian nationalist state there in the interior northwest. There's a movement called the American Readout that's basically trying to do that, and he's closely associated with that movement. And uh, along the way, he wrote a, a, a manual for what this uh, Christian nation might look like, and among them, of course, was uh, the clear edict that uh, non-Christian uh, men would be put to death. So, yeah, you know, it's fairly typical of what a lot of these extreme Christian nationalists look like and think like. And uh, you know, he he had a million excuses for it, but um, at any rate. All of that, all of the above, to help drum him out of the legislature. It's pretty clear that On Fire Ministries is, you know, all about that whole worldview, and and has been since he founded it. My understanding is Shea's social and political network isn't local to just Eastern Washington and Northwestern Idaho, right? It extends over multiple states. Yes, he has ties in Oregon, Montana, Western Washington, mostly the Northwest. But it is, you know, I would say it's all five states in the Northwest. How do the Christian fundamentalists, the Groypers, the groups like Patriot Front, etc., fit in with the historic far-right scene in the Pacific Northwest? Basically, when I've seen Proud Boys in the interior Northwest, they're mostly like hanging out with militia types, three percenter types. It's kind of an amorphous blob (laughs) there where the Patriot movement far-right is basically this amalgam of three percenters, uh, oath keepers, and proud boys, and Christian nationalists. Their belief systems all overlap and interlock. It's not uncommon to see a pickup truck with stickers from all of the above on on their windows. What we hadn't seen a lot of was overtly neo-fascist activity up until about a year ago, we started seeing thickering from Patriot Front in Spokane and White Lives Matter people in Idaho and Montana. 
And the White Lives Matter guys were out there at the park that day. I wanted to ask you about White Lives Matter. When I first encountered them in Orange County, they were too chicken to show up to their own events. Or they'd get run out by counter-protesters. But they've been weirdly persistent, and that worries me. My impression is they're a gateway group and have been... Yeah, I mean, this, the, the whole appeal of White Lives Matter is basically to um, pointing white boys who think that um, recognizing black rights suppresses them. You know, <laughs> those guys have always been around, and there's a certain appeal to that. Something like 60 to 70 percent of all Republicans believe that the discrimination against white people is a bigger problem than discrimination against black people, right? And that's their, and that's their in, is that they're actually appealing to that sort of mainstream sentiment that exists out there even though it's, as you and I know, it's an absurd and kind of obscene sentiment. In fact, it's really obscene when, if, you, if you know the facts and the history. But it does exist. It's very common, particularly uh, among mainstream conservatives. And so it's basically a way for, for white nationalists to draw mainstream conservatives into their circle. In the rural Northwest, that actually can be fairly powerful. In fact, there's a lot of guys who aren't comfortable identifying as white nationalists or white supremacists at all, but feel like, oh, there's, there's a lot of prejudice against white people, so we've got to stand up for them, right? And that's what they're doing. But you know how these guys work. Once they get you in that fold, then it's like, well, there's a reason there's all this prejudice against white people. It's called cultural Marxism or CRT or whatever the hell it is these days. I will say the one thing that we are seeing and what Coeur represented and something I think we really need to be acutely aware of right now is how the LGBTQ community is being extremely targeted by the extremist right right now. I mean, we hadn't seen Patriot Front show up to any kind of anti-LGBTQ protest previously, uh, but they sure did this time. But neither had we seen a lot of these uh, militia types necessarily doing it either. We'd seen Proud Boys showing up to Drag Queen Library Hours and things like that. This was kind of new. Right now, there's been this huge wave of right-wing, far-right propaganda demonizing the LGBTQ community with this eliminationist rhetoric, calling them groomers and pedophiles. It's sort of like QAnon, but gone mainstream, directed instead of at liberal Democrats, it's directed specifically at the LGBTQ community. Just a few days before I uh, went out to Coeur d'Alene, I put up a video at Daily Coast of these preachers in various places of the country, two guys down in Texas and one in Boise, Idaho, who were demanding the death penalty for anyone who's gay. And um, one one of them saying, shoot them in the back of the head. And and the guy in Boise saying, well, you know, we think that there's an easy solution to the problem of uh, pedophilia, and that's to execute gay people. Once you get rid of the gay people, the pedophilia goes away, was what he was saying. So this stuff is spreading among people on the extremist right, 
and uh, it's extremely worrisome because they are bringing, as we saw in Coeur d'Alene, they are bringing guns out to the events. Uh, I just believe it's a matter of time before those guns start getting used. Is any of this a reaction to revelations of abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention? <laughs> no, no, I think they're try- running and hiding from that as hard as fast as they can. It's just like they don't ever bring up the fact that the Catholic Church has this, been this exposed for, over the last 10, 15 years as this incredible uh, cesspit of uh, pedophilic abuse. Um, and, uh, you know, they never talk about that. <laughs> they, they don't ever go down that road. They avoid any discussion of it whatsoever. And no, I never see these guys discussing the SBC. It feels like the attacks on the LGBT community have been accelerating rapidly. Is the Republican Party trying to build a moral crusade here to drive people to the polls? Sure. I mean, remember, the the whole thing with groomer, the groomer rhetoric had been building up two months prior to that. A lot of it had to do with Ron DeSantis down in Florida. But once that started being generated, it's really spread and mutated into a, a, a lot of different forms to the point that, yeah, I think Republicans are actually, I mean, t- today we learned that the Texas Republican Party has announced that it will no longer allow the uh, uh, log cabin Republicans uh, uh, to have a presence at their convention. Really? Yeah. I think they're very much making it a moral campaign. They, it's what they've latched onto, and I suspect that they're going to try to write it into the November elections. I guess we will see how effective it is. Uh, I happen to think that it's political suicide on their part, but I've been wrong before. You think it won't work out the way that they hope? No, I think people are actually have become vastly more sense, or you know, sympathetic and um, uh, sensitive, you know, to the LGBT community community over the last twenty years. In part because they've had a lot of real life dealings with people from that community, and they understand they're just people, ordinary people like them. I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, this really reminds me of Milo Yiannopoulos making a comeback, you know, saying he's ex-gay, etc. Out of Marjorie Greene's office. (laughs) It really just seems like a sign of the times. Oh, yeah, it really does. But if you're paying attention, you've been seeing this stuff coalesce, forming a pretty dangerous political force. And that was veteran journalist David Nywert. It's true what Borman said at the beginning. He's been doing this longer than I've been alive. Thanks for everything, Uncle Dave. That's it for this week's edition. A couple quick announcements. One, LCRW is co-sponsoring a Rock Against Racism show August 20th at the Bluebird in Reno. That's in Nevada, by the way. Cobra Skull's headline, and the Fleshies are playing. Tickets are $15, and you can get them at the link in the show notes. Also, I'm taking a short road trip to gather some audio for a Pride Month special for the end of the month. And I'm doing a a small fundraiser to help cover our travel costs. If you can help out, we'd be really grateful. Link in the show notes as well. The Absolute State and all Left Coast Right Watch journalism is supported by listeners and readers like you. 
If you'd like to set up a recurring donation to support our work, go to patreon.com slash lcrw or check out our pinned tweet at lcrwnews on Twitter. That's LCRW News. We could sure use this help. Until next time, don't despair. Prepare. Dudes wearing what looked like Best Buy outfits. <laughs>